Hello and welcome to Let's Enter the Arena. I'm your host, VM Campos. This is the podcast where I chat with a different member of the Magic Gathering community every single week. And we talk about our tips, tricks, tragedies, triumphs, and whatever else as we focus on Magic Arena. Well, everyone, I've got a return guest to, a, to the podcast. Uh, this is a guest that I've played Magic with in real life. Please welcome back, Ed Vibe. Hey, everyone. How's it going? Well, thanks for coming back on the show. It's been a little while. Um, tell people uh, where they can find you online, if you stream or your Twitter or whatever you'd like. Okay. Uh, so uh, on Twitter and Twitch, it's EdVibeCan'tSleep. Uh, <laughs> this is a very recurring theme where I just seem to be on my days off. I'm so full of energy. I can't, can't sleep. But, you know, of course, work days, plenty of sleep. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, if people hadn't heard your original episode, um, what? Uh, let's talk a little bit about your origin story. So, what was the first set or year that you first played Magic at? Okay, so first set that I bought on my own had to have been Champions of Kam- no, as Betrayers of Kamigawa. <laughs> actually, um, my brother got me into it really early, so I must have been seven. I would. It was probably 98. So whatever set was in 98 was the first one that uh, I started playing with. And then I would just take breaks for a long time and come back and find somebody else to play with and get back into it. Same thing happened right now. I have uh, some coworkers who are getting into Magic, and Mm -hmm. they're deciding to play. That's really cool. Now we might have to... This might be a Mandela effect. You know know what uh, the Mandela effect is? Well, what's that? The Mandela effect is that people remember the past in a different way. Like, there's people that swear that they remember that Nelson Mandela died in prison, and obviously ah, he didn't. Right. So, uh, and then like the Berenstain Bears, that people swear it's Berenstain Bears, Berenstain Bears, whatever. You know, people swear there's this different past. So we're having a Mandela effect because 1998, I don't believe, was Kamigawa. I think that was in the early 2000s. Right. So yeah. So Kamigawa was the first one I bought on my oh, own. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Playing was different. <laughs> oh, okay. That makes sense. So you were playing you were playing for a while then from 98 because Kamigawa was like 2004 I think, or Yeah, yeah 2003, 2002. Yeah. Mhm. Okay. Cool. So you've been you've been on and off with Magic for a while. Yeah. And then same thing with Arena, right? When we talked last time you were you were playing Arena and it was a different world. We were actually able to play in person and then now uh, that the lockdown's going on, well, there's a lot of online action happening and maybe you took a little time off and and came back. Yeah, I was, you know, found some more people who were interested. I uh, decided to play with them. Mm-hmm. And when you play arena, do you like to play the the one v ones or brawl or standard or, or uh, historic or what do you like on arena? Uh, right now, I really like the one v ones. Just standard is is cool with me. As of now, we've got one week where Zendikar Rising has been out on paper, and two weeks ago it uh, came out on arena. So what do you think kind of in general about the new Zendikar Rising set? Oh, Zendikar is really cool. I actually am going to get a box of boosters for myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to say, like, because my coworkers decided to start playing all of a sudden, mm-hmm. that's why I started getting back into Magic. And so we did a draft with Eldraine's set. Uh, so everyone's been playing with an Eldraine a deck. But... Um, yeah, so I really just want to get more boosters, and I really like the the um, the new set that's coming out, the, or the one that just came out, Zendikar. Well, that's pretty cool that 
you started them off with with Eldraine because I liked that set a lot. I liked the lore of it. I liked the mechanics, yeah. uh, everything. I think it kind of came together really well. Do you think it was a little too complex for a beginner? Or do you think that they all got it pretty well? I they got it pretty well. Some people when we were doing the draft, someone saw how um, interesting the the food mechanic was, so they <laughs> built a food deck. Yeah. Well, that's like the really cool aspect of magic that I like, that you can really go tribal, you can really go focused, and they saw, okay, food, how can I make that work? And they, they went all in with a food deck. Yeah. Was there any card in Eldraine that really stood out to you as, as a fun card or like uh, for the for the power of the card or, just, or if it's a jank card or the art of it or the concept? Um, I would have to say um, Torbran. Torbran <laughs> is an interesting character. Yeah, he he doubles damage or something, right? He whatever source of red mana plus two damage to whatever that is. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's that's why I keep losing when someone plays that card because it's not doubling it; it's the plus two that, that keeps adding up. Even for the smallest creature, it's suddenly doing if it's a even if it's a one one, it's doing three damage every time. I liked in that set uh, Ayara. That one was uh, triple black mana. I think she was a 2-2 or a 2-3 or something. And when she enters the battlefield, the opponent loses one life. You gain one life. And then every time you summon a black creature, they lose one life. You gain one life. And then like she's right, so cruel. Yeah. She's so cruel she can tap and then sacrifice a black creature and draw a card. So she used up her, her minions. That was really good. That one in, uh, in combination with the, the black cats. Because <laughs> it does the same thing. Right when yeah. it enters the battlefield, or when it leaves the battlefield, one when damage it enters. to opponent. Was it, is it enter? Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. And then um, I think in combination to with the witch's cauldron or something, so you can mm -hmm. generate food or damage, right? Yeah, and then, exactly. Yeah, and then the Persian was really good with that. Yeah. Yeah, that was like a, right inside of the set itself. It had all of the pieces of the combo. It had Ayara, it had the cat, it had the oven all in there. And you can do this little loop that is really annoying where at the end of their turn, if you've got all three of those pieces, you use the oven to cook the cat and then you get a food, it dies. And then you use the food to bring the cat back. And so it comes back and it does double damage and double life gain because Ayara is also triggering off the black creature. So it's pretty uh, oppressive and fun, but I, I liked it that I liked it in that, uh, in that set, but I didn't like it against me. I liked playing it. Oh yeah. It, conceptually it's great. <laughs> yeah. uh, I also like revenge of Ravens because the, it's yeah. so useful. <laughs> I like that one a lot, definitely. So when they try to attack you, they, they lose life. They lose yeah. life and you gain it or only that they lose life? It's, so they lose, uh, per attacker, they lose one life and you gain one life. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. So having four out <laughs> is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I've had a couple of opponents here and there that like don't read the cards and they still attack. And then I'm like, well, I'm gaining the life and you're losing it. So keep going unless they have like enough of a critical mass or big creatures to negate the damage. But usually they go all in. So that's okay. You're hitting me for five, but I'm gaining back four life and you're losing four life. Right, right, right. <laughs> well, that was a, that was a pretty fun vintage set from a long time ago. The last decade, actually, Eldrin came out in 2019. So uh, wow. In 2020, we've got the uh, the whole bunch of new sets, but the, the the newest one is Zendikar. But before Zendikar, we also had um, Theros Beyond Death, and we had Ikoria. Any kind of general thoughts on those? Did you did you play with any of those? Um, I like Ikoria. I, I think uh, Ikoria was interesting. Uh, looking back at it, um, I saw I think it was 
MTG Goldfish, they had this it was a uh, one of the they they do this thing where they have a list they list decks for cheap and they had like a $5 black deck <laughs> from that was so good conceptually. I I couldn't believe that it was that cheap. Hmm. I've got to look that up. I like seeing their decks as well. I made a I made a mono deck, mono black deck that they mentioned um recently where it was all about like having underworld dreams on on board which is when the opponent draws a card they lose a life and then you right. use glimpse the unthinkable uh not glimpse the unthinkable uh the one abyss peer appear into the abyss you use appear into the abyss to force the opponent to draw half their library so if you've got underworld dreams out they get one point of damage for every card and you just force them to draw half their library so it's game over with two cards oh man i don't remember the price on that one but uh what else was in that like five dollar deck you said it was mono black do you remember what what the big deal with it was that intrigued you Right now, I, I can't remember, but I just remember things like, man, I should buy this deck, but at the time I wasn't playing. I just mm-hmm. remember seeing it and thinking how cool it was. Did you like the the uh, companion mechanic to have a little furry friend out on the side to yeah. help you? Yeah, the, oh, the, I think that's really interesting, but from what I was watching, I seemed like blue and green really took advantage of it more than anyone. I think so. There were There were a few creatures in there that... You were able to make them do a lot of stuff so much so that they had to change the rule. The companion mechanic originally was you can cast it from whatever zone it's in directly to the battlefield. And it was so good, it was even like destroying vintage formats that they had to change the, the they had to errata it so that you had to pay three to bring it to your hand and then you could cast it so you would lose a turn instead of going directly and i know that it it affected me because i like uh, i built a a cat deck and kahira was this uh green green and white cat that it would make all your other cats plus one and vigilance and such and i I was used to just casting it directly but then now i had to adjust my thinking no i have to think two turns ahead one to put to my hand and then one to cast it and what about Theros, the Greek-inspired one? That one was in there also at the beginning of the year? Right. Theros was... Uh, I liked his art most, but I didn't think that I could utilize him really well. So I was like, yeah, he's okay. Oh, actually, we, we might be we might have our wires crossed. Theros was the whole set. Theros Beyond Death. I'm talking oh, okay. about this set. No, there's, there's a, the Greek card. The Greek god card? Oh, Uro. That might be him, yeah. Yeah, Uro. That's, Uro was that. was the It was like a... Um, Elder Titan, I believe. That one was the one that was, uh, you would summon it, it would draw you a card, it would gain you life, it would go to the graveyard, then you can summon it again out of the graveyard, and uh, it was a very powerful deck. That one came, it was a very powerful card. That one came out of that whole Theros uh, set, and that was the first return to to Theros. Apparently people liked it. I wasn't playing when it first came out, uh, but uh, I enjoyed the cards there too, the lore and all of it, but um, did you hear that today they announced a banning of a card? What did they ban today? They banned Uro, this card that we're talking oh. about that is so good. Wow. Now, people are a little disappointed, unfortunately. They thought that they were going to ban, like, four cards because there's like so, there's a really powerful green-blue deck and with a brand-new card that came out on uh, Zendikar. Now there's a green-blue-red-white deck so it sounds like wow that's like so many colors how are you going to pull it off well there's so many good cards out there that they're all comboing together and it's like even having multiple colors is not a big hindrance for this deck to take over the meta and one casualty at the moment is that they've banned uro today but people are kind of upset that like you left all the other pieces of this well then in 
In Zendikar, um, let's talk about some cards, specific cards that, that we might like for various formats, various reasons and such. Do you have uh, your first card that uh, that might be fun to talk about? I think his name is Tito. I can't remember exactly. Mm-hmm. The Tito, he's basically saying what he does is... Oh, Vito. Is it Lito? Yeah. I saw him and I was like, I got to have that card. That's a, that's a good <laughs> card to have. Do you, I'm kind of hearing a pattern. So you do like like vampire or life life loss and life gain kind of decks or cards. Yeah, I for the most part, yeah. So I I play two kinds of decks, which is you know red rush and then the the black drain. Were those archetypes that you liked playing even like when you first started, or is it like a little more recently? The uh, the red rush is more recently. The the black, I I think it's changed because I used to play black green but now i play mono black mostly <laughs> yeah so i i've come into realization of utilizing utilizing my resources better and realizing that life is also a resource so i'm a, like i'm having a lot more fun with black because of that mm-hmm. well i've got to pass you a deck or two that i like i also like mono black decks and the life gain sort of thing it's also cool to me, so uh, I'll uh, I'll put it on the Discord if you're there, and um, and uh, you can check it out at some point. But I like those kinds of decks too. And however, one of the cards that I picked that I uh, that that I like in Zendikar at the moment, uh, because I also like to kind of create tribal decks. So if it's like uh, it's a deck all full of vampires or a deck full of all uh, rogues or whatever, I kind of like that. So I have uh, one one card that I picked is called Attendant Healer. She is a uh, 2-3 core cleric, 4 mana in white. And whenever you gain life for the first time each turn, create a 1-1 white cat creature token. So this is like the this is like the crazy cat lady that's got a bunch of cats. And every time you gain some life, you get more cats. And then Ooh. she's also got the ability pay 3 and then another cleric on your in your on your battlefield gains lifelink so you can give lifelink to another cleric to gain more life and make more cats wow just having more cats just overrun by cats yeah exactly so let me send you there on our chat let me send you the link directly to the to the card because if you look on the link you're going to see the, the the card right but then on the right side you're going to see the token it creates and like, you know, tell me that's not the cutest cat ever in the history of magic. <laughs> Look at his little pack. Yeah. He's got a pack and a little necklace and everything, although it looks slightly different than the one in the picture, I think. The one in the the one from the character attendant healer has like white on its belly. Yeah, it's one. a different but, cat. Yeah. But that makes sense, right? Because she keeps just collecting more cats. But um, I can't wait to get a, a one or two of those in real life. Um, oh, I forgot to mention. So earlier, you said you wanted to get a booster box. Um, what do you think about there being two versions of, of booster boxes nowadays? Uh, you know, I'm not. As long as they contain the same amount of chance, uh, it's whatever. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I don't. I wouldn't want to pay X amount of dollars, and then some are like maybe one's a better deal for the number of cards or rarities or i don't know so we'll see how it goes this is the very first time they ever released so they've got technically now they've got the draft boosters which is the one that's been around for 27 years and then now they've just created one called set boosters which the pack has the 15 cards per pack but they a little bit are more 
conceptualized and focused, like all of the commons and uncommons are of a theme. So you might crack a booster that is the theme of cats. So then it's got like all of the cat cards, or maybe it's a theme of counterspell. So it's going to be full of counterspell related things. But supposedly, you're also going to have a higher chance of getting more rares and mythic in a pack, you could get two, or up to four um, rares, if you're really lucky in these packs, instead of the one guaranteed one. But who knows if it'll if it'll be that uh, if it'll be that way when when the cards are actually out. So, um, what's another card that that you're enjoying? There's uh, I don't know from from Zendikar. I was still kind of studying them, mm-hmm. so not too many. But uh, of recent, outside of that, yeah. uh, Sanitarium Skeleton is super cool. Oh okay, let me pull that one up. That's like a like that's like a single black mana or something, right? Yeah, and then pay three to bring it back to from the graveyard to your hand. And it's just a good way to distract people. Yeah, so it'll always come back. There's always going to be something for you to do. Isn't there another one that's also a single black, but you can only bring it back if they lost life? Um, I seem to remember people trying to play some of these like aggro black decks where turn one, you drop one of these skeletons. Turn two, you play your second swamp. And then you've got the ability to put out two more of these single black mana. And I and I remember one could come back with the mana outlay, but there was another one that you had to lose life first. And that wasn't so complicated because you keep putting a lot of little creatures out. So I guess skeleton tribal or zombie tribal or whatever is a thing. I like the art on this one. It, it is really evocative. So it's, yeah, it's like a skeleton in a straitjacket looking really evil. Yeah. He just looks a little crazy, a little decrepit. And yeah, he <laughs> looks like he's in a, a psych ward. You can see like the textures in the background. Oh, yeah. I never noticed that. I always I always thought it was a, like a stone, just like a castle or whatever. But yeah, if you look at it, that makes sense. It's some sort of padded room where, in, in the sanitarium. So you said you mostly like... Um, standard do you ever do you ever maybe jump in on some brawl brawl games um i'm trying brawl because i have a coworker who's really into brawl uh so i'm i'm new to it mm-hmm. well a card like you said like veto would be great for that format because it's singleton uh you don't have to worry about crafting all four copies of whatever and um you're always able to keep recasting that legendary creature that is your brawlmander of the deck. You know, this is like Commander Junior on, on Arena. Um, when they make it four players, then it'll be amazing. But um, yeah, Brawl is pretty fun. I like playing that. Um, I think the order of things, I like playing number one, Brawl, number two, Standard, and the number three, Historic. And I guess when they do like a fun event, I, I jump in there too. But that's kind of my order. Um, and saying that... One of the cards that I like that I've picked um, is uh, Drana, the last blood chief. She is a five mana legendary vampire cleric. So she's got flying, but she doesn't have she doesn't have life link, which a lot of times vampires do. Vampires, I think, are kind of known for life link and flying, and this one's just got flying. But what's cool is when she attacks. So her text says, uh, whenever Drana attacks, defending player chooses a non-legendary creature card in your graveyard and then you return that card to the battlefield with a plus one and it also becomes a vampire oh yeah that's really good um i like the uh there's trying to remember the effect it has but it's it's another vampire it's it's a like a a classic one so it's got death touch lifelink flying 
<laughs> and uh, it's like I'm glad they brought that one back because that is a ridiculous card to have, and it's just kind of good to have out there because it yeah. really pulls pulls attention from anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if someone summons like a big creature, you're not too worried about it because it has death touch. Yours has death touch, so it'll take care of it. And you said it also had a flying, right? So um, it'll take care of a flyer, and it's just got a lot of stuff, and it feels like a classic vampire. I've probably seen it too. I can't remember its name because there's just so many new cards uh, coming out all the time. So what's some other cards in in anything on Arena that, that you like? Uh, I've, I've been really liking this. The people have been doing the comp with the Ruin Crab. <laughs> seeing mill decks has been so impressive to me. Have you been a fan of them before? Uh, never used on me, but now I've been like, oh, wow, that's real impressive. Yeah. Apparently this is like a variation of another crab that was out years ago. I believe it was called Hedron Crab, and it was very similar that you had Landfall and then Milling. Uh, and this is just the latest generation of it. So um, I've had guests on the podcast that are like, ban, ban this crab. I hate to get milled. And it's just so easy, right? Play a land, then they mill the opponent. So like no mana outlay. You yeah. just have to have this little crab out there. But it's like, right. yeah, it's it's annoying. But, you know, just murder it and then have it for dinner. Those crabs. That makes me think. I'm going to do a quick search right here on the search engine here uh whenever you look up cards what uh what do you like to use to look up cards with i actually do like scryfall that is usually the one that i go to yeah same here so i'm looking up all crab creatures and um there's 30 crabs apparently and let's see what was the first what was the first crab i'm sure way back in the dark ages of magic there are some really weird crabs giant crab so the first crab was from Tempest, that was 1997, and that was a 5-mana 3-3. Three, three. You pay 1 blue until end of turn. Giant Crab cannot be the target of spells or abilities. So it gains Shroud. You can pay blue to give Shroud to your crab. So that makes sense. It retreats to its shell. Ooh. And then the latest crab, that one, uh, Ruin Crab. Were you on the stream when I was giving away the cards? And did you see when, when a winner won... The newest, biggest crab of them all? Uh, no, I saw the second to last pack and a little bit of uh, Rivers pack. Oh, okay, so check it out. I put that in the in the Discord. This is the newest. Whoa! So, the, <laughs> so there's the little crab, um, but then the biggest crab. This is a legendary crab. This is Cherix, the, ra- the Raging Isle. Four mana, you get a 0.17. Like, is that the first kind of stats like that ever in the history of Magic? As far as I know, like I've for a four drop zero seventeen, that's that's insane. Yeah, it does not have defender. I think a lot of people when they see like a zero power creature, they think defender. They think it's a wall. It won't attack. But technically, it does not have defender because then when you look at the ability, pay three, and then Charix gets plus X minus X until end of turn, where X is the number of islands. So if you're playing mono blue. Um, and you have four islands. You pay three, you give the crab plus four, minus four. It's still a 413. You pay again another six, you give it another plus four. You're giving it plus eight, minus eight, and it's still an eight. Uh, it's, it's still an eight, nine. That's, yeah, that's useful. That's that's a good exchange, I think. That's pretty balanced for the most part, because, I, I mean, you can't give it that much power, and it's hard to kill, or yeah. combat-wise. 
Mm-hmm. And you don't even have to pay for its ability to weaken itself. You could e- equip, you know, a sword or whatever onto it. We have, a, you know, various equipments we can equip. So we can give it plus one, plus two, whatever. Um, and it's still going to be a whatever X17. So you don't even have to pay to, to weaken itself. And then part of its crabby nature also is that uh, it protects itself a little bit in terms of the... Um, you cannot target it. Well, you can target it, but the the opponent has to pay two more mana on top of what they were going to pay to target it. So I think it's got some good like crab-like abilities. So speaking of like tribes and so forth and cats, there is... Did you see that there is a... There's an enchantment that just came out that has landfall. And every time you play a land, you automatically make a cat. Now that is a good combo. Just play land. Get some more cats. Yeah. Let me find out what's it called again. Um, Felidar Retreat. Now it is rare, so you might not get it as easily as you could. It's four mana. It's an enchantment. Landfall. Oh, actually, I remember now. It has two possibilities. It says landfall. Whenever land enters, choose one. Either create a 2-2 white cat beast creature token or put a plus one counter on each creature you control and they gain vigilance until end of turn. Wow. So for the outlay of that initial four mana, you just keep playing your lands and making cats and making them stronger. I I played a draft and uh, I I did end up getting that card and it was great because eventually when you run out of things to do and you draw a land, normally in the late game when you're drawing another land, it's like, oh, I'm falling behind. But when you've got a landfall in a set, those landfalls can still make you do things. Do you do much of the the drafts or only constructed play? I... Not for arena. I, I like to do draft in person. Um, yeah. Back in February was the last time I did a draft, mm-hmm. and I ended up I ended up winning that draft. I got a instead of a cash prize, they they had a wall scroll, so I got a Jace wall scroll. <laughs> and that was at a a real uh, local store. Yes. Yeah. It was um Heroes Cave or something on uh, on El Cajon Boulevard. Hmm, okay. Well, that's cool. Um, that was uh, that, That's going to be like a, a good, uh, memorable memory um, from, you know, what this whole year has been. So one of the last times you played Magic, you want to you wanna J-scroll. What's he, what's he doing? Like doing some Blue, ma- uh, blue Mage stuff? Yeah, I think it's a classic, uh, classic Jace pose. <laughs> Did you see that they're actually about to, or that maybe they just started to sell Jace uh, sneakers? I think I saw a, th- a little post about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I wouldn't buy them, but that's kind of fun that if people are really into Jace, you can buy tennis shoes that that are Jace-focused, and they've yeah. got his like tattoos or whatever, and they glow in the dark. All right, uh, any other cards that, um, that stand out to you that you're enjoying at the moment? Uh, I saw a really... So, like, the, there's a bunch of theme blades and i really like the 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 red artifact scavenging blade i think it's real mm-hmm. nice and simple because it comes in and it does it's a free attach you know yeah what else does it do i know that they've all they've all got auto attach at the moment which i think is really cool and and it does it's just the the plus two plus zero oh okay. but it's i think the the cmc is really what uh i saw really advantageous and then i saw the one that's like 
the the dark spear one that basically gives it gives it uh, life link. Oh, shadow spear. Shadow spear, yeah, life link and indestructible and something else. Yeah, and it's like and it's like really cheap. It's only like one mana and then two to equip. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Because it adds up little by little the um, those little one points of damage, and suddenly you're like got you've got double the life total versus the opponent, and even if the creature holding it dies, you can pass it on to another creature for also a low low cost. Yeah, I I think it's interesting having um, the planeswalkers with landfall because <laughs> uh, Nissa Nissa seems pretty decent, but then just having landfall on her is really good. Because I think it's like um, a loyalty counter gets gets put on her every time you have a land, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So it just makes her even faster. That she she makes like an elemental or something along those lines for for her uptick. I just pulled it up here. So a plus one untapped target land you control. It makes elementals, but it, it makes your lands come to life. So untapped target land you control, you may have it become a plus three plus three elemental with haste. Um, so yeah, landfall. Whenever simply playing a land, you you put more counters on her, and eventually her ultimate. Let's see. So the minus five. You may put a creature card with converted mana cost less than or equal to the number of lands you control onto the battlefield from your hand or graveyard with two plus one plus one counters. Yeah, you're gonna get to that minus five so easily, even with just landfall, and uh, you're gonna be able to play things for free, basically uh, based on your lands, and give them two plus ones. Out of the three current Planeswalkers, uh, so at the moment we, we got a new Jace, Jace Mirror Mage, that makes copies of itself. We have Nahiri, who likes to play with equipment, and then Nissa, who makes um, elementals and such. If you saw those three, which of those three do you maybe do you like the best, or would you play in, in any decks? Uh, I think I think Jace is always impressive. I don't think there's ever been a version of Jace that hasn't been really good. Oh, and Chandra too. I'm surprised that how many Chandras and Nissas <laughs> there are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are like two very popular characters, and they, in some of the most recent sets, they made so many Chandras that you can you can do like Chandra tar- Tribal now. You know, I'm talking about Cat Tribal, but you can do like Chandra Tribal. This is the first time that they make a Nissa with also black mana. She has been either mono green. She had green and blue in uh, Kaladesh block back in 2017. No, not Kaladesh, in Amonkhet block, I believe back in 2017 or so, but this is the first time that she's got a little bit of black as her casting cost. So does that mean she's turning evil? Maybe. Maybe that's where her story lies, and she's going to turn evil. Because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Soren, Soren also was like, he started off as like a bad guy, and he became sort of an like, anti-hero. Oh, okay. No, it's, he had to take down an angel. I yeah. forgot which one, but basically it was like, oh yeah, is is his job to like take her down. And he ended up being like, okay, vampires aren't that great. <laughs> yeah, uh, I wasn't playing at that time, but I believe some of the lore was something about that. Yeah, like he was, you know, his own nature. He, he was a perhaps a mono black planeswalker for a while. And in some of the most recent ones, I think in War of the Spark, they and, and another set, perhaps they made him black and white. So maybe they were kind of making him a little bit more anti-hero instead of just like focused simply mono black. Any other planeswalkers that are on arena at the moment that you really like playing with? I haven't seen too many yet. I, I really like. I'm not a big theory crafter, but I like playing and seeing how it goes. Yeah. 
That's fun because then you can kind of create your own strategies and it's it's perfectly fine for people to kind of look at articles or videos about what everyone else does but it's a really cool feeling when you figure out your own kind of deck and especially if you win or if you win once or twice with it. One of the planeswalkers that I like is um well this is kind of an easy answer but it's uh, Ugin the Spirit Dragon. So pay eight mana, and then all of its abilities are just insane. Either do you either deal three damage, and you gain like two loyalty. First of all, he starts he starts off with seven loyalty. Um, uptick with the two deals three damage to any target, so a creature, planeswalker, or player, and then that's a plus two, so you're already at nine. Uh, loyalty. You can do a minus X, which is to exile everything of CMCX or less. So you could do an amazing board wipe there and keep your Planeswalker. And then the ultimate minus minus 10, I believe. You, uh, you, can, you draw seven cards, gain seven life, and put up to seven permanents from your hand onto the battlefield. But you need 10 loyalty. Yeah, I mean, if you could make that work out, that's so that's some insane stuff. Yeah. Now, if when I ever I do make it work out, it basically is GG from the opponent. Even if they have thirty life, and then I'm down to five life. Once I bring that out, it's often scoop. I think that's almost yeah, almost guaranteed. <laughs> do you think that the um, the that there should be games? where it's simply like, I play this one card and it's game over for you? Or do you feel like it should be kind of like a gradual building up to the big end game? I'm a fan of, of quick matches as much as I am um, the the long, long strategy games. Mm-hmm. You know, because, well, I mean, I, get, I told you, like, I mean, I like the red rush and the slow, yeah. you know, the slow drain. So I like playing both of those and seeing how uh, a match develops. But yeah, I think the people who can play red rush like that or like really really quick decks are really interesting because they want to make decisions really fast and they can think very quickly you know versus the the people who like the long game and like really really take the time to strategize Mm I, I think I like to play kind of the the longer game mostly, but I did really like the recent Goblin deck that came out. I, I had a uh, I had a podcast guest uh, a month or two ago that um, he passed me his uh, his list, which is basically it's Goblin Tribal because you know again I like the tribal stuff, but there's a lot of kind of cool combo pieces in tribal in Goblins at the moment, and one of them is called Muxus. Uh, Muxus Goblin Grandee, I believe. It's six mana, but as soon as you play Muxus, you can look at the top six cards of your library and put directly into the battlefield any of them that are goblins. So if you strategize it just right, you're going to put six goblins that also trigger other things going on, and then that's like a big one-shot. Oh, and the last thing about it is when Muxus attacks, it gets plus X, plus X based on the number of goblins. So if you were really lucky and off the top of your deck got five more goblins, this Muxus gets plus five, plus five, and it's already a six-six. So that's eleven, eleven. If you if you don't block it, playing arena is where I see like how the cards work out. Because really, um, yeah, I could read a card and see how to combo, but seeing how people utilize them is is more interesting. Yeah, like learning from other people. Uh, I think that's always a great way to do to do to get better at magic and to play magic just see what other people do and maybe see from learn from their mistakes or learn from their triumphs and then incorporate it into your own gameplay i'll be playing a lot more magic so i'll be able to delve more into it as i play but yeah it's been really heavy lately 
<laughs> do you have like a certain time that you like to to play or like any time you have the idea like fire up arena and play a little bit yeah i'll just play a little bit just to relax like because it's it's a lot more chill than playing a really active game so yeah. i just sit here and have time to think and i can watch a stream or uh browse while i wait for my turn <laughs> yeah I, I've got the, the day job, and then so same kind of for me after after work, when I've got all that stuff done, I can uh, can unwind. Now my job is from, from home, so I'm here already, but I tried to kind of set aside a space at my place, like, okay, here's where I'll sit to do my work, and then over here is where I'll sit to do my fun stuff, or, or else it wouldn't work out, because when the pandemic first started... They didn't have that fully, I didn't have that fully delineated. So it was a little challenging about like, I'm sitting at the same computer where I work and play. And then I just kind of wander off and then do the fun stuff. And then the, the work stuff would, would would back up. So what about yourself? Are you, do you still need to, to go out or are you at home worker? Uh, well, yeah, I still have to go to work uh, physically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I spend most of my time working in a lab. So it's not mm-hmm. that that crazy. It's like... 12 hours a day inside that lab. <laughs> yeah. And then everyone takes pr- the utmost precaution, of course, so it's like, it's totally safe. Yeah, well, there's basically nobody there except for six, seven people at a time Yeah. every 12 hours. <laughs> well, you're making it sound so mysterious, like you're in the lab with the with the nuclear codes or something. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, you know, I'm working with, with microchips the whole time. Yeah, and it's just like okay, well, I could run three or four testers. Yeah, and then in contrast with me, you know, I, I I'm I'm a teacher, and there's like thirty people in a room, and there's a whole campus of people, and I don't know. Sometimes some demographics don't take hygiene as well as they could, and wash your hands and all of that, or coughing or whatever, and yeah, sniffling nose all day long. And nowadays, well, it's uh, it's definitely different, and. Uh, it was a big change. I, I was used to driving either to one college or to the other college that I teach at, and it was a big change. I count actually March 13th, which was a Friday. So Friday the 13th is when I started my stay-at-home stuff, um, and that was way back in March. And, you know, we're already getting to the last few months of the year already. Isn't it hard to believe? Yeah, it's crazy. I I remember it was like March, and then I wake up and it's September. Yeah, yeah, such a big change. Magic keeps uh, keeps moving forward, but uh, on on the one hand, it seems like things stop, and on the other hand, it's like things suddenly change. And uh, I think with arena being a way for people to play, and it's not as good as in in person. I I honestly I still would rather play in person and meet up. And you and I have been in a couple of uh, real life games, and that was really fun. And hopefully, we'll be able to do it again in due time when things either kind of get under control or we get that vaccine or people smarten up or something will happen. Yeah. Cause yeah, arena is cool, but there's, it's so much better playing in person. Yeah. It's just a different feeling. Yeah. You get to see people's tells, you get to joke around. If it's a, if it's a casual thing, it's really fun. If it's a competitive thing, you get to psych them out and bluff them. And yeah, I definitely yeah. Uh, can't wait for the in-person stuff. Also just the feeling of the cards. It's just, this feels good. <laughs> well, have you noticed that over the last few years, it does feel like they've been changing their card stock a couple of times? I really felt that like, okay, when I got back into Magic in 2017, uh, that was, uh, 
Hour of Devastation. So there was Hour of Devastation and then Exalon and then Dominaria. I remember feeling that those Dominaria cards felt different than those three sets that I had touched before that. I don't know if you ever kind of noticed any change in textures or, or weights of the paper or whatever. Oh yeah, I have like much older uh, much older cards. Mm-hmm. So seeing how like they're still rigid even now, and then the new ones are a little softer to me. Yeah. Like, yeah, I feel like they need cases. Mm-hmm. Because without it, they feel a little flimsy. Mm-hmm. The, the other day, I made a video for my YouTube, and for the thumbnail, I was going to be holding a torn magic card. So I don't think I almost have ever torn them. And so I tore a recent one from... Um, Throne of Eldraine. And what's what's fascinating is that it is, you know, two separately printed sheets of paper, and they're glued together, apparently. And in between, they have, there was like blue in there. So I don't know if the glue is blue or something. But I look at a, at a magic card, and it's like, how is, how is this possibly two sides? I would have thought they were printed double-sided, but it is two things glued together, perfectly aligned, and however thin they are, and when I tore one open, it was like, wow, there's secret stuff in here. Maybe it's multiple layers of a lot of paper and just really tightly pressed. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, whatever secret proprietary method they have to, to make magic cards, it has changed throughout the years. Mm-hmm. The old Pokemon cards used to actually have foil for the holographic card. Mm-hmm. Like the whole face would be foil. Oh. Okay. And how have they changed now? If you if you see a difference, uh, I'm not sure because I haven't touched any Pokemon cards in a long time. <laughs> Do you still have those old uh, Generation One vintage uh, Pokemon cards accruing value? Yeah, actually, some of them. Um, I wish I had a Charizard. <laughs> last, um, yeah, last Comic Con last year, there they had a authentication booth, yeah. and um, the guy there. It was, he was like, you know, sign up or scan in or sign up. You get his, uh, you get a chance for a raffle. And he had an authenticated um, signed poster of like the original Star Wars with all three mm-hmm. signatures. And this was right after Carrie Fisher died. Uh-huh. So that thing was worth a lot of money. Yeah. And he, but he was like authenticating cards there. And he showed me what the, he had one of those super mint Charizards. <laughs> uh, and he was like, yeah, this is like a, uh, pristine 10 whatever the rating was and yeah. it was like eighty six thousand dollars and i was like that is insane <laughs> so you were you were like a mere foot away from an eighty six thousand dollar card yeah no he was like yeah you could hold it and i was like this is too much responsibility <laughs> like it was in a case and everything oh yeah yeah because yeah. <laughs> uh, there's, there's like a grade above pristine 10 that is like the mm, the actual really? perfect mm-hmm. like grade mm-hmm. So that's cool. Um, I at Comic Con, I've I've actually been in a couple of booths where they had like you know the first appearance of Spider Man comic, the first appearance of Batman comic, the first appearance of Superman. So I have a picture of myself right next to you know an authenticated like nine point zero first appearance of of Superman Action Comics number one from 1938. And that comic was probably, that one that I was standing next to was probably at least $300,000. Wow. Because being that old, you know, 80 years old, 
fragile paper passing through 80 years and at 9.0 in comics it goes up to 10.0 but most commonly like mint is in comics it's 9.8 but there is the 9.9 and then there's the 10.0 i'm pretty sure there's nothing above that but then there's the version is it signed or unsigned and then that even like increases the price so if you have like okay you've got amazing fantasy 15 which is the first appearance of Spider-Man 1962 if it's not signed 9.8 it's like only a hundred thousand dollars but if it's signed by like Stan Lee or Steve, Steve Ditko the artist then it's suddenly worth seven hundred thousand dollars or whatever wow. you know signed versus unsigned versus what level of pristineness and even like a 1.0 which is like a cover that's all ripped up that's still gonna be ten thousand dollars yeah well Vince let's uh as we wind down, let's tell the um, the uh, listeners where they can find you online. Okay, sure. Uh, you can find me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash sleep, or Twitter, also the handle at edvibecantsleep. Uh, I'm usually playing fighting games, uh, but often you'll find me playing a bunch of variety games. Uh, I've been trying to beat all of the Marios recently oh. because the anniversary just came out, and I'm realizing how extremely hard... Nintendo hard is because <laughs> the original Mario is insane. Yeah, if you haven't played that in a while, I haven't played it in a while too, but I remember some of those jumps, if you don't have that speed, you're not going to make that pit and like the physics of it. They had like pretty pretty sophisticated physics even back then, right? If if you try yeah. to jump from a standing jump, like you're not going to get air. You've got to have you running and such. So yeah, Nintendo hard. Yeah, it, it was actually really interesting jumping between Mario games to see how much Mario has advanced and uh, you don't realize it when you're when you're waiting the years apart but yeah. playing them side by side you really see wow Mario has changed a lot of things and has a lot of really cool features over the years yeah when I first played the the original Mario game um, Mario Super Mario Brothers 1 um, I w when my family got the the Nintendo I don't think we got it with the bundle that had the original Super Mario. I don't remember what it came with, but the one that I re remember playing most in my youth was actually Super Mario Two, not Super Mario One. You have a lot of. Do you have a lot of experience with that Mario Two original Nintendo? Yeah, uh, my older brother had. He had every system. Like so, <laughs> he would. He had like the NES, the SNES. The, the original Sega Master System, mm -hmm. all sorts of stuff. And yeah. so he would he would get every game that was like really popular. And I remember liking Shinobi more than Mario, but <laughs> going back, I was like, man, Mario is a really good game. Yeah, that original Super Mario 2 was not even planned to be a Mario game. It was a completely different game, and then they kind of retranslated it and ported it as a mario game to the u.s that that game never really existed in the in japan it was yeah, kind of yeah. kind of a u.s exclusive but uh what what you're saying there about like the evolutions of the games and the amount of time passing because if you compare mario one with mario two and even mario three like those graphics they were like so blocky but still beautiful on the first one and then you look at mario three um i think that was a difference between like 1985 and 1989 perhaps so even in that short amount of time look at mario 1 mario 3 like mario 3 is like a masterpiece visually and game wise oh, yeah. and everything compared with the multiple worlds the ice world the airships the bosses compared to the very first one it's like bowser at the end of each castle and uh just the evolution of the of the original ness is pretty amazing 
Oh yeah, and uh, the sound design actually, mm-hmm. they they really did a good job of keeping the classic feel while giving it its own spin. Because Mario Two, in my opinion, has the best underground soundtrack yeah. of all the Mario's. Yeah, that whole game has a different vibe because it was a different, it was a whole different franchise originally, and um, the music it still you know sticks with you. And I know I visited a few video game remix sites over the years and heard people's interpretations of things, and it was a really evocative game, even if it wasn't a pure Mario game. By now, it's like totally canon, and it's yeah, it's just another Mario game. How far are you going in like the replay of things? Are you going up to the SNES age and also like? Yeah, I'm I'm going back from their original, because uh, if if you have the a Switch, it actually has the emulators for free, so uh, you can play original Mario, Super Mario Two, um, Super Mario Brothers, um, Three, and um, and then they just released the the re-release of Mario sixty four, Sunshine, and Galaxy. Oh, okay. Yeah, that and I was planning on beating all the Zeldas too, but that's a that's a different <laughs> thing. Yeah, that's definitely much more of a of an involved thing. And talk about Nintendo hard that that original Zelda. Imagine, you know, I I lived it, and I and my memories sometimes are a blur. But imagine again, like this current generation, where like obviously not to despair people's video games and such. But nowadays, like really, if you dropped a modern player into the original Zelda with no yeah. map, auto map system, or like no rails to guide you and all of that and in a completely open world and like if you don't go into that first door you don't have a sword like obviously go into the door but uh you know the evolution of games yeah definitely uh i think that that's true for like everything that's lasted this long they there's been a lot of quality of life changes that's made things a lot easier for people because you really had to struggle like yeah i remember being being young and playing magic with my older brother and his friends Mm-hmm. And the cards were ridiculously overpowered, in my opinion, because I, I was just like, "Wow, everything just seems so ridiculous." And as time went on, things have uh, moved on to be a little easier on players. Mm-hmm. Like they they don't exactly have a whole novel on the card or like the complication. Yeah. They were still figuring things out. Like nowadays, something is called shroud, but back then it was this thing cannot be targeted by any spells or abilities. Right. And uh, mana burn is gone. Yeah, yeah, that's a big thing from back in the day. If you didn't use that mana, it hurt you. And there's actually now, I believe there's one new card that just came out. It's a dragon that it that your mana doesn't go away even at the end of your turn. So you always have this mana hanging around as long as you've got that dragon. I don't know if you saw that. It's card. Uh, a red flying four four, and I think when it leaves the battlefield, whatever unspent red mana you have, it does damage to the opponent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So imagine that in the old days of Mana Burn, where, well, I've, I've tapped three mountains, I better use all of the, the mana for it. And then nowadays, yeah, tap all the mana that you want. You've got this dragon, it keeps floating around. Well, um, as for myself, people can find me on uh, online everywhere as VM Campos. Just search VM Campos on Twitter. I'm on Twitch as well. I'm on YouTube. I just reached 1,000 subscribers on YouTube, so I'm really happy with that. And I stream every Saturday night at 8 p.m. Pacific time, and it's pretty much just magic all the time. Although I remember when uh, in early 2018, when I started to stream, I was actually streaming playing Doom, Doom 1 for the PC. 
So those videos are still there on my Twitch if you go back to the first videos. And I kind of maybe want to play that again because I like magic, of course, but maybe just for a change, maybe I'll maybe I'll play some, some original Doom streams. Yeah, the OG Doom would be fun. Yeah, I was using a... a uh, not not exactly an emulator, but it's like this third-party shell that you load the original wads, and it does kind of upgrade the original code, sort of, to like more modern things. So like the it's not as blocky. Like the lighting effects look a little modern, more modern. So it's still like classic Doom, but it's just kind of upgraded a little bit for a game that's been out, you know, twenty-seven years. Hey, I think Doom and Magic came out in the same year, nineteen ninety-three. Man, you know, it's crazy to think that now, like, Doom has, like, that everything has the, the twin access control where, you know, one 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 stick or one set of controls moves you around and another control moves the perspective around. Mm-hmm. When Doom didn't have that, it was just like, you had to turn, you turned. Uh, <laughs> it didn't have the, the offset keys. Yeah, exactly. Looking back on the history of these games, it's, a it, you know, these games in the 80s and the 90s, that's either 20 or 30 years ago and there's a whole generation that grew up with it you know we grew up with that and there's even like the generations after us that of it was always there like what they have was already built on what we had so it's just fascinating to look back on the history of all of this entertainment stuff yeah i, I even remember original doom used the arrow keys when everything now is uh they yeah. use uh wsd yeah, exactly. I was used to that. So when I played other games that used WASD, I was like, I wasn't quite used to it because I was used to my right hand on the arrow keys and then my left hand on the control key or shift to to shoot or run. And then now they've kind of flipped it. It's the move around with WASD on your left and then maybe other things on the right. So and then like you talk about being able to change your perspective and such. That wasn't until Quake. Did you ever play Quake back in the day? Um. Not competitively. No, I, I like Quake, mm-hmm. but that was a that was a different world. Yeah, I never did it competitively either. But I just mean that it's the evolution of how Doom, the character Doom guy, was just looking straight forward, and you couldn't really move up or down. And then, oh, yeah. eventually, when it got to Quake, now with this newfangled thing called a mouse, you can start to also move around and look up, look down, and shoot your grenades up and so forth, and. And just even more of like the horror aspect of it. That was a that was a pretty scary game back in the day. Maybe that's the one I've got to stream at some point. I gotta change my stream up once in a while and do some Doom and Quake besides Magic. Right. If you remember, uh, the the person who created the WASD, this is like a small FPS trivia thing that most people don't know. Mm-hmm. But the like Quake the was uh, the competitive Quake was the most famous player at the time his name was thresh mm-hmm. uh if anyone knows that name that's that's the guy he's the one who invented wasd with the mouse bind to to look around and shift and spaces jump and all that 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 was his personal mm-hmm. layout oh oh yeah. that's cool so there was like the original layout of the game and then you can customize it and then so he kind of felt like okay i'll use one hand for movement and one hand for viewing and and such and he was so yeah. good at it that it kind of it kind of stuck now generations later which is crazy. Like even it's almost been like twenty years since that guy's been done playing Quake, yeah. and uh, everyone's still by standard games use WSD. 
that's like a really fascinating way to leave your mark on things. It's it's either you're one of the creators of the game, or like you're one of the best players or, and such, and you're in the Hall of Fame or whatever, or you, your your personal mappings are what define games nowadays. Well, Ed Vibe, thanks so much for uh, coming to the podcast. Hope you ha- hope to have you again at some point. There's just like so many new cards now that you're back into it. There's so many new cards to talk about and strategies and whatever. So thanks so much for being on the show. Definitely have more to talk about. Thank you for having me. No problem. Thank you to the audience for, for listening uh, to the episode. This has been VM Campos, and I'll see you in the arena. <laughs>